back to the March edition of the Focal Point Podcast. I'm Peter Orsay. I'm Toby Barrett. And we have a great slate of interviews for you all today. Um, firstly, I talked to Austin Williams, our editor-in-chief, about um, press freedom in Hong Kong. And then I talked to Toby Barrett, my co-host, about his uh, struggles with ADHD. Yeah, and I talked to our issues editor, uh, Kishan Krishna, a regular at this point, about affirmative action um, and some recent um, news that's coming out from that. And also to uh, one of our rookies, uh, Grayson Redmond, about uh, car rides and reflection. So. Yeah, we have a great uh, about an hour for y'all. So uh, hope y'all enjoy. See ya. Coach Morrison pulls me aside before the game. Stay under the basket, Toby. My neck cranes upward. Just stand under it. He peers back down. Yes. If you get the rebound, pass it back to one of your teammates and stay there. I'm the tallest second grader on the court, so it's only reasonable that my only job is to get the ball for the other scrapping bulldogs. And to be fair to Coach Morrison, I'm not just the tallest on the court. I'm the most cotton-headed. I often gaze around in a sleepy daydream, and I'm never the most passionate player on the court. That cotton-headedness exists in abundance off the court, too. I often forget to do my chores, leave my toys all over the house, lose my magic treehouse books and troves. It irritates my parents a little bit, but they feel like some of my behavior is typical young boyishness. What they don't like, though, is the way my absent-minded demeanor leads to poor performance in school. I'm held back my first year of pre-K. I'm prone to using scissors to cut the table instead of the paper given to me. And I often stare into this into space while my classmates diligently color in their pictures of elephants and flowers and clouds and horses. Back then, the word achievement isn't in my vocabulary. What is winning? I mean, I know that if the Scrabbing Bulldogs have 25 points and our opponent has 22 points, by the time the fourth buzzer sounds, we win the basketball game. But what about personal victory? What does it feel like to really succeed? I don't know those answers at that age, nor do the questions even cross my mind. My, but my parents know, and they want me to find out. Even today, I remember the white room, the dim fluorescent lights, plaster raw walls, and atrociously gray carpet, the smiling middle-aged lady with purple reading glasses and a green sweater, and the papers my parents signed. I remember the questions they asked. I remember some of the answers to the math questions they gave me. Apparently, I could do math at a fourth grade level then. I'm pretty sure they even put some gizmo in my head and measure my reaction time. It turns out I have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, what most people refer to as ADHD. The lady with the green sweater and her associates find out that, despite my advanced skills at adding numbers with more than one digit, I work enormously slow for my age. And they prescribe me an amphetamine, a stimulant called Vyvanse. I start taking it the very next day. That day, I suited up for the Scrabbing Bulldogs. And as I stand under the basket, the rebounds come fast, faster, even faster. By halftime, I have 11. I remember because I count them myself, and I never count anything, ever. For the first time in my life, I block someone, I make a layup, I steal the ball. And as the last seconds before the buzzer count down, I even make a three-pointer to tie the game. Me, the tall, cotton-headed, blonde kid with a buzz cut. The Scrapping Bulldogs go home that day with their tails between their legs but I walk away with a head full of silk. I like the silk.
Sadly, my basketball career is over. The Scrabbing Bulldogs have disbanded, and Coach Morrison doesn't have to worry about his center staring off into space anymore. And I've also stopped playing to give LeBron a fair chance. I don't take Vivance anymore. And yeah, admittedly, I'm still cotton-headed. I forget things a lot, and I still daydream. But I know now that the first step towards self-growth, no matter who you are, is wanting more for yourself. Even if I'm stuck under the basket, even if I shoot and miss the basket entirely, I'll always chase that rebound. my co-host Toby Barrett. Toby, how are you doing today? Good, yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. We got a big game today against Cistercian. Looking for a big win, of course. Yeah, yeah starting off uh, counter season soon. So um, throughout your column, you described yourself as, quote, cotton-headed. Uh, when did you first notice this daydreaming? I mean, it's pretty much just been there my whole life. Um, it's kind of just like a little bit of like fog. Like you just like, you ever like wake up in the morning and you're a little like, groggy Mm -hmm. it's just a little extra um and there's like ways to deal with it i guess like you just you just compensate for it i'd also like uh cotton-headed that comes from um both my grandparents they always used to say like your head's full of cotton and like your head's in the clouds and stuff oh i get it and then uh also from elf of course yeah classic uh cotton-headed ninny muggins um it's also pretty popular phrase in my family and since I'm kind of like the spacey one, like they always call me cotton-headed, um, and which is like a perfect word, I guess, to describe it, because it's like you're you just there's like a little there's like a little haze over mm-hmm. you sometimes, but uh, you just gotta like push through it. You mentioned uh, plenty of examples, but more generally, how did this cotton-headedness affect your childhood? Like, did you struggle to stay focused during conversations with your friends, or was it mostly during school and sports? Yeah, I mean, all of that. I, I'm a pretty competitive person, so it really frustrated me like when things just couldn't come as naturally to me, um, and like in the classroom, on the sports field, stuff like that. Like I, I just always felt like I had to like work harder than other people because I had something to make up for. Um, I also like part of it is like I'm pretty impulsive. Um, I like there's a lot of times where like I have like. There's things I just I just want to do. Like I mentioned another column that like I like drank or like I tasted uh, hand sanitizer one time cafeteria <laughs> my old school. Yeah, and just because like I sometimes I just like do things. And there's not like a, a good reason for it. Um, and so yeah, like a big part of that like that's just been a big part of my childhood is like maybe slowing down a little bit and just like um, being a, more mindful. Um, that's something I've had to like focus on pretty hard yeah and you you talk about like after your parents kind of notice maybe a, a, a lack of focus or whatever mm-hmm. uh you got tested for adhd and then you were prescribed uh vivance uh would you say that medicine greatly improved your daily life vivance yeah Vyvanse, yeah sorry. it definitely did it was it pretty much like changed me as a person i went from like a pretty like uh i went from that kid like in in middle school who like has hair all like fuzzy and like uncombed and stuff and it was always like rowdy took a kid who had like pretty neat hair and like was always like 
like borderline a tattletale kind of obnoxious <laughs> um it definitely like changed the way i approach things but in a good way like i i perform much better in school and in sports and stuff but um one thing i didn't mention is like the side effects are pretty like extreme like i was skinny as a rail um when i was on it because it it did, like does away with your appetite almost completely um it makes it like a it made me kind of like a sourpuss um so like all like although like i was like a little rowdy or like cotton-headed before vivant's kind of like even though it helps you focus it just it, i felt like it made me a little less fun um a little less like uh, i don't know wild and like some bad ways but it definitely did help me like focus and and like, do better at things that i cared about for sure definitely um and you mentioned you no longer take vivance mm. um have you learned to live without a prescription or do you now take a different medication yeah so i take vivance i used to take like 40 milligrams um and it's like a pretty hardcore thing and that was back when like my parents didn't know if it was something that i could like contend with um and i think mostly as i've gotten older and matured i've like I know how to how to deal with it, mostly just through habits um, and things. But I take now I take like five milligrams as opposed to forty um, oh, wow. of, a, of a different one that lasts like three hours. Where Vivance is like an all day eight hour kind of like a, just a really hard ADHD medication. And I I've eased up off of it. Um, I, I actually appreciate that because um, I just feel better a lot of times. Yeah. And uh, going back to your days on the scrapping bulldogs, yeah. um, you mentioned you were uh, never really the most passionate player on the court. Um, <laughs> but I must say, like during our two years of playing basketball together, I always saw you as a guy that hustles hard and the guy that cares about the game. Um, was there a point you felt a shift in your demeanor, or do you think that stayed the same? Yeah, for sure. It was actually the game I wrote about. Like when I say when I say like I was like not the most passionate on the court, there were times where like like where there's a rebound on our side of the glass, like we got the rebound on defense. My team ran the floor. I just did not like pass half court or <laughs> like there are times that like, I just like messed. Like I, one time I got on all fours and like crawled under a defender's legs. I didn't even have the ball or anything. I just, <laughs> just crawled in their legs. There's another time I was on a fast break where I got the ball and bounced it over an opponent and then ran around him, grabbed it, and then took, like, three steps and missed a layup. That's the kind of player I was. Like, I didn't <laughs> – I, I had, like – I had no intention of, like, doing anything productive. And then, yeah, like, literally, like, a week – actually, I think it was the very first day ever that I took five ants. I had, like, the best game of my life. I hit a three, and I played center. So if you play center and you're, like, little, that means you're a brick. And <laughs> I hit a three. Drained a three, yeah. From that, it was just, like – I like maybe I can like win at things um definitely yeah and we'll get to that in a second but um firstly you mentioned you were doing fourth grade level math Mm -hmm. um in elementary school uh would you say you're still a math heavy kind of guy no not at all (laughs) especially I've been (laughs) severely humbled since I've come to St. Mark's um which I, I guess Same. I'd call like a math. Would you call like a math moral math science definitely yeah um especially like physics just hit my butt um but like i when i say like fourth grade level math i was just doing like back then that means like you're doing like long division or yeah. you're doing like you can multiply like numbers large with, numbers like 44 <laughs> by 24 or something yeah. um so i don't really know how much that meant but i was pretty impressed with myself that's, that's still pretty impressive don't don't shoot yourself sell yourself short yeah. um 
And like you just said earlier, uh, your closing thought encouraged people to want more for yourself and mm. always chase that rebound. Yeah. Um, why was this the final message you wanted to share with our readers and listeners? Um, well, so I actually wrote this over the summer, um, as you know. Yes. Um, and at the time, you know, especially in high school, there's a lot of things, like, if you're ambitious, there's a lot of things that you go after that you're not going to get. Um, you know... Uh, like p- leadership positions, um, sports teams. Actually, I didn't mention this in my column. I don't play basketball anymore because I didn't make the team. Um, I, you know, it was same. also the beginning, right? <laughs> same year for both of us. Yeah. There's also, um, it was also like we're coming up on college apps. It's really easy to give up, um, especially when, you know, the, the this time is brutal because it, mm-hmm. it, it means so much to everybody here. Um, and it's really easy to give up or feel hopeless. Um, and I just, the only thing, like one of the things I learned is that, um, if you like want anything out of your life, like you gotta keep going, you gotta chase the rebound cause you're never going to score if you don't like, if you don't get the ball or if you just like don't cross half court, you mess around. <laughs> no, that's a great message. That's a great message. Um, I just have one final question. Yeah. Um, what would you tell other kids listening who also struggle with ADHD? I mean, uh, I don't know. It's 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 never as bad as it seems, I guess. Like, maybe instead of staring off into space, like, do your homework or something. Um, but, like, ADHD does not mean that, like, you, like, should, be, like, feel prohibited in any way. Like, um there are, like, so many smart people that have, like, ADHD. Like, my parents, my dad is, like, one of the smartest people I know, and he, like, has it too. Um, so, yeah, there's always ways to, like, go compensate through things that you're struggling with like that. Um, and just don't let it hold you back, I guess. All right. Well, thank you, Toby, for talking to me. Um, I really enjoyed reading your column, like I said. Uh, we got one more cycle. One more cycle. And then we're out. We're handing it off. Yeah, but to some good people. You guys will see. You guys will see. All right, well, I'll see you next time. Sir. response. Tell us something most people don't know about you. Hong Kong, China was my home for almost 10 years. 10 years? So are you fluent in Chinese? Not really? That's probably what Miss Lin would say. It's way harder to be fluent in Chinese than something like Spanish. You don't have the alphabet to lean on. Tangent aside, my home has been in the news a lot lately. COVID has been the biggest catalyst. Hong Kong recently lost its status as a global leader in containing the spread. New measures were enforced. Read mandatory COVID testing for each of the 7 million residents. So take that as you will. And while it's faded in the face of the pandemic, freedom of the press has been a huge issue. Here's a quick debrief. Hong Kong is a special administrative region, SAR, controlled by China, meaning that the island maintains a level of autonomy. It has its own government, sort of, I won't get into that, 
a capitalist economy, and some of the classic American freedoms like speech, press, and protest. Recent threats to freedom of the press have been serious. A draconian Chinese national security law meant that, among others, a prominent pro-democracy media tycoon was arrested in his newsroom. The law is vague. It was put into place after an array of anti-government protests, and it's focused on terrorism, subversion, secession, and collusion with foreign forces. But it clearly has other implications. As a journalist, it's extremely scary to witness all of this. Apple Daily, the pro-democracy newspaper home to formerly mentored media tycoon, was cited as endangering national security. But where's the line? Many Hong Kong journalists have, resor have resorted to self-censorship. Why risk arrest or worse when you can avoid touchy topics, cut questions from your interview slate, and praise the government? I know why, because journalism is a backbone of society. It empowers the public with information, exposing lies, corruption, and the genuinely terrible things that would just go by the wayside if it weren't for the press. Journalism is the pursuit of truth, truth governments don't want you to see. It's easy for me to soliloquy from my desk in Dallas, and I get that. My livelihood isn't on the line. But this situation is important, and I want more people to be aware of it. To be completely honest, I worry about Hong Kong. But I also have faith in its people. Yellow umbrellas, underground publications, and grievance graffiti. Hong Kongers have already shown that they're prepared to fight for the truth. editor-in-chief austin williams austin how are you doing today what's up pete um i'm doing well I'm doing well it's good to hear uh, i really enjoyed reading your column um it was centered around hong kong and uh, the press censorship that's been going on there um as you described there's a new uh legislation put in place at uh, a draconian chinese national security law can you kind of break down for our listeners um what's going on in hong kong right now so essentially, like reporters have been targeted or at least like democracy, like focused or like like anti-establishment or anti-Chinese establishment, like journalists and journalism companies have been targeted by this law that like essentially says that like speaking out against the, go the government is like, like, what's the word that I use in my column? Um, endangering national security they, that's yeah. basically what is claimed like by promoting democracy and i guess like whatever the opposite of promoting is um communism um it's like a threat to the government and you know they're targeting freedom of the press was this um something you saw like in your 10 years in hong kong did you see any side of, uh, sort of censorship to be honest, not in my memory, because I would have left when I was, I guess, 12. So I wasn't paying like too much attention to the news and everything, but I'm sure like it was not around to the same degree because I got out sort of just before China cracked down and started to reclaim the region. So like there wasn't nearly as much like 
overreach by the government when I lived there. Definitely. Um, and as a journalist yourself, obviously, this is probably a pretty important issue for you. Um, over the last four years, how have you personally seen the impact journalism can have on a community? Well, I mean, the remarker, it is so powerful. Like, like all of us on staff have seen it, like just like the, the compliments that we get and like the change that we can make and like breaking really, really powerful stories and like keeping the community tuned in and like, you know, challenging the administration. Like we've done that multiple times. Like we're not afraid, obviously we're in a partnership with them, but we're not afraid to try and make campus a better place. Like through our feelings, right? We talked about senior exes in the most recent issue, and I'm sure that something will come of that. And we talked about technology on campus and we've pushed for lockdown drills and like just the local change obviously is pretty significant, but just like making the public aware of things that they would not maybe be as informed about without journalism. Yeah, and I mean, kind of contrast to, to what's going on in Hong Kong. I mean, I'm really thankful for the administration that we have. Mr. Dini is so welcoming to maybe touchy topics that we want to cover. For example, the October cover story that was on abortion. Um, and we've done mental health. We've done um, homosexuality and transgender mags in the past. I mean, there's been so many outlets that or so many stories that we've been able to tell that most other high school publications just don't have the opportunity to. Oh, 100%. We are so lucky. Definitely. Um, so going back to kind of your personal experience, why did you feel compelled to write this column? Well, you know, I'd seen it. I'd seen like some of the recent Hong Kong related news, like reposted on Instagram stories of um, some of my friends that still live there. And I, it was just like shocking like even beyond freedom of the press, like a lot of the stuff that's just being enforced there is like ridiculous having now like lived in America for a couple of years. And like, I don't know, you sort of take for granted a lot of like the basic things that, that you get to do and like the basic rights that you have. So, you know, it just shocked me seeing all of that. Definitely. Um, and kind of, uh, turning our focus to Hong Kong itself, um, you say, and I quote, the island maintains a level of autonomy. It has its own government, sort of. I won't get into that. Um, and now, as we're on behind the column, I, I'm going to ask you uh, to please yeah. get into that. Can you explain uh, from the best of your knowledge the state of Hong Kong's independence? So, okay. It's a special administrative region, which I already said. Um, and it it basically means that it well there's like a little bit of history behind it like it was reclaimed um by britain for a while and it was given back to uh china like i think in in the the 90s and um basically like the people of hong kong really wanted it to remain as like a relatively like like a british oriented like democracy sort of style government um and China was okay with that. Um, but what they basically said is, you guys can have a democracy, but we're going to watch it closely and like keep it um, like within the reins of, of what we want it to be. And what that means right now is that, like, I think, obviously, I need to be fact-checked, but 
I'm pretty sure that all of the like people that were running for election as like the leader of Hong Kong, I forget what it's called. It might be a governor or president or prime minister or something. Um, but all of them are like nationalists, like Chinese put in place. Like they they come from the mainland and they are like happy to report to or like happy to report to that uh, Chinese Communist Party. So while like it's a democracy in the essence that people can vote, uh, like the candidate choices are limited. Like you're not going to find like a, a Hong Kong native like champion of democracy running for the title. And that's sort of the nuance of it. Do you fear that it may revert back to complete Chinese rule? I definitely do because it's, it's very much like, like it, I, I would be surprised if it does because it's such like a business hotspot of Asia. Like they would really be like doing themselves harm by getting rid of, of Hong Kong as like its own little territory um, because just of all the like business traffic and like expat expats that it attracts as like a non-officially Chinese like spot right next to China. Um, but it's definitely possible like as time goes on and like, you know, we're like all of these things are small steps towards that like ultimate happening, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's kind of scary to think about. I, I, I bet it's really scary for you, especially cause you grew up there. Um, yeah. And my final question, um, what can we as American citizens do to fight, uh, fight back against this attack on free speech? Um, that's a good one. I think, I think the best thing that you could do is really just to stay educated on it and to know what's happening in Hong Kong and be aware of it. And like, I, inform others just so because like if the eye is taken off hong kong and people stop paying attention it'll be much easier for like it to be fully reverted back to like being a a chinese territory where you know rights are pretty significantly more limited yeah definitely well austin i really enjoyed reading your column it was very compelling Uh, i hope to have you on next cycle next one is the last one Yep. It's weird. Weird to think about. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Peter. Yep. See ya. My dad doesn't talk much, especially in the car. Usually he blasts music or a podcast loud enough to blow out my eardrums, but sometimes he turns the music down to a barely audible level and just drives. I used to think this silence was some kind of social cue I wasn't picking up, his way of silently begging me to ask him something, anything, his way of asking, please start a conversation. But whenever I tried, I was met with a barrage of one-word answers. Uh, please shut up, I don't want to talk, look on his face. That barrage, those looks, they really don't bother me, though. Because I don't love talking either. When I'm around people, I try to contribute to conversations, try not to be socially awkward, 
but my thoughts are always moving a mile per minute. How many of the final four will I pick correctly this year? What am I eating for dinner tonight? Tacos or pasta? What is the meaning of life? My brain is so busy thinking about everything I see around me that it's often hard to say what I want to say without tripping over my words, which is why I love those silent car rides. I played on a baseball team this summer that traveled around the state, and every weekend I found myself in the car headed to Fort Worth, Waco, Corsicana, or some other small town an hour away. All the traveling may seem awful at first, but it blessed me with plenty of those silent rides and plenty of time to think. At first, my dad's silence hurt. I've got more time with my dad than I've ever had before, and he's got no interest in talking. What did I do wrong? Then, I had a chat with my friend, which changed my perspective instantly. He had just gotten his license, and I asked him what it's like to finally be able to go out on a drive by himself. It's almost therapeutic for me, he said. I go on silent drives all the time, especially after I fight with my family or when I'm stressed out. And then he said something that really connected the, connected the dots in my head. I find my mind's completely clear when I get back home. Wait, so there's no malice in what my dad's doing? Is the car just my dad's safe haven? A place he can go to to escape the endless bombardment of work emails, the perpetual screaming of my sister, and the bustle of the outside world? Wow, why didn't I think of that? Everyone my age wants to be an adult to go off to college, find a job, not have to listen to anyone. But adults have problems too. And with the many added responsibilities they have, it must be much harder to find an escape. So for now, I'm all right just where I am, in the middle of nowhere, sitting in the car with my dad, letting him have his escape, driving in silence. And now I enjoy every moment of it. Grayson Redmond. He's one of our rookies, a page editor soon to be, uh, as we're approaching the May cycle or our rookie cycle. How you doing, Grayson? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? Doing fine. No complaints. Um, your column was about kind of reflection and in the car and like the whole edible experience. But before I ask you anything about like the content of your column, um, why the Friends reference in the title? Are you a big Friends guy or um, like do you, are you sitcoms? Well, I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I'm you know, on airplanes or something, it seems like. Yeah. On all the in-flight entertainment services they have. They always have uh, friends. They have friends on it, yeah. And I've always thought the titles were pretty funny. Pretty you know, interesting. The, the one where I thought that was really mm. unique. So um, I was kind of at a loss when I was thinking of what to title the column. And I thought, hey, wouldn't it be funny if I just throw in a friend's reference? And Could you, would you see yourself, like, in the future when you write more columns, like, continuing the theme or no? That would be pretty funny. I might... I might consider it. I don't know. It was just sort of a placeholder this time, to be completely honest. Yeah. But it might be a cool theme to continue. Well, Let's for sure. Because you're, I mean, you still got many bright years ahead of you in this program. Oh, so well, thank you. Yes. Yeah, obviously. You're just a sophomore now for those listening. But, um, yeah, three more years. Um, Grayson, do you drive? Uh, I just got my license right. uh, t- two days ago. Yeah. Okay. So, pretty pretty interesting what are you whipping uh, i don't have a car you don't have a car yet no but when you okay so when you drive do you drive like your parents car 
Yeah, my my dad's actually. Mm, really? Yeah. The same one that you wrote on your column. Yep, the same one. Have you gone for a drive by yourself so far? I have actually not. not I have I have not had the time. No. School, you, school can get pretty crazy. Of course. Here at the weekdays. Definitely. So. Um, are you looking forward to it? I mean, have you? I mean, obviously you put a lot of thought into like the drives, but have you ever like thought about the day that like, you put the car into drive and it's just you in there? Well, I've tried to make it to where it's not such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like, I don't particularly love milestone, big milestones in my life because it's a sign I'm getting older yeah. and I don't want to get older. Um, but no, it'll, it'll certainly be an experience for sure. And I feel like I, I've always loved cars ever since I was a little kid. And I feel like driving is going to be a great experience because, you know, as I sort of mentioned in my column, it's sort of become a place where I go to just kind of take a time out mm-hmm. from everything I have to do and, you know, the world and school obligations and all that sort of like safe haven, as I kind of mentioned. So sure. that's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because you mentioned the thing that you also kind of brought up in your column um, about like not growing up too fast. Um, you say you say something like um, everyone wants to be an adult, but you seem to realize maybe that growing up too fast isn't like all that's cracked up to be how why why not how come i don't know i don't know if it's just that change scares me Mm -hmm. or um what the reasoning behind it is but i've always sort of had that opinion and maybe it's because i don't really step out of my comfort zone enough Mm -hmm. to where i'm excited about you know change and college and going forward and all that or maybe it's just because I genuinely have a love for everything I do right now. Yeah. Like, I love the remarker. I enjoy coming to school every day. I enjoy going to baseball and football practice every mm-hmm. day. And I enjoy going home and seeing my family every day. And that's probably the reason behind it is I just don't want all that to change going forward because I, I love where I am now. Right, right. Um, so I guess, but um, as someone who's like a senior, I... I've felt it that way too, but I'm now, gosh, like nine weeks and counting or something like that from graduation. Yeah. And I'll tell you, um, things go by quick for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, have you thought at all about, you know, obviously you don't, might not like to think about the future, but when you do, do you plan it or do you just kind of see what happens? Um, well, it sort of depends, Mm -hmm. you know, there's obviously big things that you have to plan out, like. I've sort of, we just had our conferences earlier this week where we chose what classes we're planning on taking for the next years. And uh, before that, my family and I, you know, sat down, made a little plan for, you know, what I'll take junior year, what I'll Mm. take senior year, and how that's going to impact me going into college based on, you know, the major I want to pursue. So obviously in major life decisions such as that, I would sit down, but I don't have it all planned out, like what car I'm planning on driving when I'm 40, where I'm going to live. I think I'll just sort of uh, take that as it comes. I'm sort of just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy, just kind of take everything in stride. That's good. I plan on sort of living that way. That's that's a great approach because you never – you can plan all you want. Like, well, in my opinion, you can plan all you want, but um, things just do not ever go the way you expect them to. Mm -hmm. So if you just – stay open-minded um and just like yeah like take it in stride like you said be willing to like take the things that happen um it always works out especially here 
because we're pretty blessed. We have a lot of good opportunities here, um, mm-hmm. like the remarker, things that you can just become involved with that are like you're passionate about. So, um, yeah, keep staying positive, I guess. Oh, we'll do. We'll do. Um, would you say you're a lot, you're a lot like your dad? Um, it's interesting, uh, for sure. As far as, um, in most ways, people tell me oftentimes that I'm a lot like my mom's grandfather, hmm. just especially like physical appearance. And also that's, um, you know, reflected in some of my mannerisms, but I think there's a lot of my dad in me. Um, he grew up, he kind of built himself up from nothing. He had sort of a rough childhood in a mm. few areas. And he, this kind of ties into, we just finished our family history papers over in English. Yeah, yeah. So talked about this a lot, um, the continued value of hard work to see in, uh, you know, my family. And, you know, I may not be, you know, coming up from nothing, living on like the poorer side of town, but that still doesn't mean I have nothing to work for. Sure. You know, I, I try to come to school every day, mm-hmm. you know, put my all in everything I do, whether that's, you know, sports, yeah. you know, schoolwork, wh- whatever that may be. And I think I see a lot of uh, my dad in that, uh, especially. Mm. And, you know, he works incredibly hard uh, every every single day. He goes mm. above and beyond what his job description is. And I think that's why, to connect it back to the column, mm. um, just taking, you know, whatever hour or so, you know, time in the car to just sort of zone out Mm -hmm. is you know so important and why I think it will be for me as well yeah because I sort of you know give I I try to give my all in everything I do and I think he does as well and if you don't take a break every once in a while that can just destroy you Mm -hmm. and he hasn't let that stop him and I hope it won't stop me in the future um yeah and finally um kind of like I guess an overarching thing or I guess something I think is reflected just like in the way that you approach um, this column is like, like ref- uh, well, that reflection. Like it's a big, this piece is kind of like you reflecting on, I guess, reflecting. Like the, the car rides, um, you sit there, maybe let your mind wander or maybe like you focus on things or try to like think about like, why, 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 why is this like, why is my dad like silent or whatever? Um, do you, would you consider, like, would you recommend reflecting a lot? Do you reflect a lot, like, personally? I know you said, like, my brain's always, like, moving fast, but, like, do you try to make time to sit down and think about things um, and reflect on them, like, I guess, just generally? Consciously, I would have to say no. Okay. But I think that that's what makes, you know, the moments when you can yeah. so special, mm-hmm. such as, you know, the car example. Um I'm always running from place to place. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I'm sure you are too, life around St. Mark's is pretty hectic and I doubt that's going to change, you know, moving forward, whether you go off to college, you get a job, all that. Mm. Um, but I think it's definitely important to set some time aside to reflect and maybe that's, you know, a place that I can improve going forward. Yeah. Cause it certainly feels great to just step out of whatever you have have to do for a minute you know Mm. sort of look at everything from a bird's eye view um and that's probably the main reason why i enjoy those car rides so much is that it's an experience i don't normally have that Mm. i don't consciously plan out yet i get into it and it just feels great um so yeah i don't know if that really answers your question no yeah (laughs) well yeah thank you so much for sitting down with me 
Um, I will hope to have you guys have you have you on soon, listeners. You'll be on many times in the future. Um, so this was Grace Redmond. Thank you. Thank you, Toby. No Appreciate problem. you. Yeah. straight answer. In the latest episode of the National Fixation on Race, the Supreme Court will hear a case brought by Students for Fair Admissions, SFFA, alleging that Harvard University illegally reduces the number of Asian Americans admitted. With a matriculation rate of nearly 100%, college admissions is something that marksmen think about and work towards all the time. Every essay, math test, or sports practice influences that overarching goal getting into a good college. For many, race-based admissions could play a part in that outcome. The numbers tell the story. According to the Washington Post, while Asian Americans had, on average, better test scores, grades, and extracurricular activities than their white counterparts, only 59 out of 1,000 Asian American applicants were admitted compared to 80 out of 1,000 white applicants. What's more troubling is that on Harvard's subjective personality assessments, Asian Americans had lower scores than white applicants in other minority groups. For its part, Harvard says that its personality assessments are objective. That statement is taken at face value. It only perpetuates a harmful, harmful stereotypes that Asian Americans are boring or only focused on their work, which are, of course, untrue. As an, American, as an Asian American, that term doesn't define me in any way. Asian Americans speak different languages, have different cultures, and originate from various places across a vast continent. The designation is purely arbitrary. I'll soon start the admissions process. It's daunting, and the idea that I have to work harder because of my race is frustrating. But I see the value of a diverse campus. It makes for richer conversations and more and a more interesting college experience. That's why I believe colleges should be allowed to stick with race-based affirmative action, but with a caveat, under increased scrutiny. Harvard is yet to give a straight answer to genuine concerns of unfair treatment. Colleges should increase transparency on the role that race plays in their admissions process. It's the only fair solution. of Krishna, um, one of our regulars at this point, it seems, uh, to talk about affirmative action and some uh, some details about a recent Harvard case um, around affirmative action. But before that, how are you doing, Keshav? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Toby. How about you? Doing good. No complaints. Um, how is, we're nearing the end of junior year. How are things treating you? Things are, things are going well. You know, a couple of tough classes, got to see them through, but other than that, yeah, it's been fun. Well, uh, yeah, and it's actually a perfect time, I guess, for you to have written this column because one of the next steps for you is college, like applications and stuff. And it's a long road ahead of you. You know, you, you're um, not not to make that sound intimidating. You just there's just like nothing to worry about right now. It's a whole long thing. But yeah, it's a, interesting that you that you bring up this topic now. Um, unfortunately, I'm a little unfamiliar with like the specifics of the case. 
would you be willing to give me and the listeners maybe a gist of the case and maybe like why you decided to write about it now? So let, let me start from my beginning kind of like with my experience on this topic. So I started, I guess, paying attention right about when I started thinking about college preliminarily, mm-hmm. um, say ninth grade. Um, back then, these sort of culture wars weren't as big a thing as they are now. Sure, you know, affirmative action was talked about. Um, and especially after that case um, with, of course, a lot of big names, um, the lady from Full House, I'm forgetting her name, um, but a lot of, you know, big media people, um, very wealthy people bought their way into, um, or at least their children's way into college. Um, so that, I guess, highlighted the dynamic of sort of some of the inequalities that the college admissions process has. Um, and I, I honestly see both that sort of taking advantage of the college admissions process through wealth and maybe some of these inequalities you're seeing with race. I, I think they're kind of um, along the same lines. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's when I really started to pay attention. Um, so this, this new case is basically saying that there was a bunch of Harvard admissions data admissions files that um, were like people went through. And one of the one of the trends that emerged was that um, there was a big difference in the personality scores of Asian applicants versus any other race. Mm-hmm. That's like the most subjective part of the application. I mean, there are things that aren't really subjective, like test scores, um, you know, essays are somewhat subjective, I guess grades aren't subjective, but this sort of like how personally engaging you are, like how, how nice of a person you are, that's probably up there with probably the most like subjective mm-hmm. um, designation you can get. So that, that was one of the, that was one of the major sticking points. Um, also there's like inequalities with the data um, on SAT scores, ACT scores. Um, if we're basing I guess the number of qualified applicants per race um, who apply and the number that get in, Asian Americans see far fewer as a per, like as a percent per capita than other races. So that, that's another um, one of the uh, one of the talking points that the um, mm-hmm. people have. And yeah, you mentioned the the personality test, which is actually what I wanted to ask about next. Um, what, what are these? Are these like done during interviews? Are they part of the Harvard admissions process in particular? You know, I've applied to uh, a lot of schools now at this point. I don't know that I've done a lot of things that like a lot of personality tests or any, uh, frankly, I've had like a couple of interviews, but what, what are these? So um, there are, a a couple of, I guess, factors that go into it. Um, Part of it are just essays, um, interviews, um, I I guess, are the second part of it. And then it's it's kind of, I guess, a holistic look of um, how engaging a person can be. Um, You know, there there are, uh, I've been watching college counseling videos just to kind of, as we're going through the, um, 
um, stuff with um, Mr. Shandera and Mrs. Kingsack and Mrs. Polito. Um, and one of it was like, if, if you're Asian, you might not want to do stereotypically Asian activities like math team, um, uh, et, et cetera. So, and then part of it is, is exactly that. If, if you're a guy who doesn't really seem all that interesting, who just has like a bunch of, I guess, math, like really dreary math awards and math competitions, um, which Asian Americans are going to, um, disproportionately do compared to other races, um, then that, that factors into it. So it's just basically how compelling you are, um, in terms of the interests that you have on paper combined with how you display those interests in an interview. Um, and really if done right, there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, nothing at all. You know, you want to have interesting intellectually engaged people on your campus, but what you're seeing is it's, it's varying by race. This, the scores on the, this are varying by race. Mm -hmm. So either that means that Asian Americans aren't as interesting. They're, you know, they're the stereotypical, you know, they always have um, their noses in a book. They're always studying. They don't really have um, much hobbies or personal interests. And that's, if that's, if what Harvard is saying that they don't, discriminate with the personality test is true then that's just i guess reaffirming that stereotype right mm -hmm. which of course isn't the case right or harvard harvard for some reason is marking asian americans with lower personality test scores because they don't either they don't want them admitted or they want to cap their number at a, at a certain percent it sounds like you think it's the latter or the second one, I don't know which one the latter is. The second one. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I know former and latter are used, but I don't, I don't even know how. Um, yeah, I think, well, I mean, part, part of it will depend on this verdict, but um, yeah, it does. I, I don't think that Asian Americans are any less interesting than any other mm. um, group. So either Harvard is like, maybe basing their um things on the wrong the wrong you know subject matter um maybe they're not valuing some activities or some interests as much as others if that's the case then that probably should be rectified because that's a flaw in their admissions process or it's like you said the latter which is um that they're discriminating against asians mm -hmm. um, Honestly, not quite sure. I, you know, I can't make a definitive statement re, um, responsibly without, um, you know, the verdict. But yeah, it, it it does seem that combined with everything else, you're seeing kind of in the in the discourse around college campuses where you're, where you're talking about you know positive discrimination in that you know there's some races that need to be helped along the way to um social equity um and some races that should pr pretty much be left to fend for their selves or kind of put pushed down a little in comparison to other races mm -hmm. like if you take that along with kind of what you're saying with the personality test yeah it does seem that harvard is trying to cap its number of asians based off of these personality tests right um like you say in your column, you're a junior. And like I mentioned, you're a junior at this point of the year, you're working the whole college process. 
Um, and you express your frustration at having to work potentially harder because of your race. Is that something, obviously it, 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 it um, it's something that's on your mind right now um, because you wrote this column, but is this maybe something that you hadn't seen being as big as a, of a factor in the process that now is kind of um, maybe inhibiting anything? Yeah, I mean, it, it, but it would bug anyone just a little bit. Yeah. For me, just that, you know, it's out of my control, but it, it is what it is. There's only so much that you can do. And in many ways, having a diverse campus is definitely a positive. I mean, we have one here at St. Mark's, um, you know, a lot of different races represented 45% minority mark. Um, and it, it helps to create a rich environment, a rich environment for talking about subjects like history or, you know, discussing books, um, which are of course value neutral discussions um, or not, not, not value neutral discussions rather. Um, but at the, at the same time, you know, when you're working so hard, you're, you're, you're trying to, you want to have the same shot as everyone else. And there are some people that would say, well, well, these races, just by, you know, being a member of that race, you're, you're, you're there put at a disadvantage. So this is just putting you at a level playing field. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, my parents came as immigrants to this country. There are plenty of Asian Americans that are, you know, from refugee families in Vietnam or, or um, Cambodia or fleeing from the Middle East. They're freeing communism. They're freeing bad economic conditions. So I, I think what a better alternative to all this would be um, would be to base it off of, um, you know, economic status. Mm. Because that, that's something that, it's it's really in the numbers, you know, how much your parents are earning, what how good your school district is, what sort of neighborhood you're living, what is your environment, how is your environment contributed to your success, or or, or even you know held you back a little. Um, so I think if you if you base it on that, no one can agree that you know living in Preston Hollow or going to St. Mark's isn't an advantage compared to you know a school in the middle of nowhere in Montana or something where it might be a little bit hard to get to school. The schools aren't as well funded. Um, there are only like 10, 10, 10 people in a grade. Um, so I think that moving it to an economic based, um, you know, affirmative action system would be for the best, but at the same time, that's never going to happen because the national discourse is too much focused on race. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's become kind of a political tool um, Democrats want to talk about it, um, because it's, you know, social justice, it's going to get the voters out. Republicans want to talk about it because it's social justice and it's going to get their voters out. So at the end of the day, everyone wants to talk about it. So it's, it's just going to keep on being a thing. Right. Um, finally, you, at the end of your column, propose more transparency in the affirmative action that universities take. Um, in your mind, what does that look like specifically? Well, I, I think maybe a lot of details have come to light in this Harvard case. So it's already become a bit more transparent. Um, but I think one, depending on the verdict of this case, perhaps an apology from Harvard saying, hey, this is what we've done. It may not, it, it may not be, um, there, there have been flaws in the system. We're doing X, Y, and Z to correct that. 
Um, I'd also like to eliminate a lot of these personality tests. There's, there's a difference. There's a difference from an interviewer giving a, you know, score or a recommendation and people quantifying that and, um, you know, saying, Hey, this guy's got a good personality, but if you're, you know, looking at it from a kind of, you know, bird's eye view and you're, you're, you're basing it off of just numbers and the interview, then I feel like you're too far removed to be able to give a good, um, a, a good score for that. So I think one would be an apology if necessary. And then two would be um, just eliminating a lot of these um, subjective assessments and making it more um, quantifiable. Well, uh, great. Thank you for your insight on this. Also, uh, best of luck to you as um, you know, the whole college admissions, uh, college application thing starts happening for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll need it. So thank you. Yeah. No worries. It ends up, it's, it's all going to end up fine. Promise. Um, well, thanks for being on again, Keshav. I'll uh, see you. Uh, see you again. All right. Thanks Toby. Bye. And that's that. Thank you guys for sticking around all the way to the end. We really appreciate um, your support. And special thanks to seniors Xander Bowles and Blake Moulton for the sick music, as always. Yes, uh, sir. See you guys in a bit. See ya.